Now, all right, as I was getting, matter of fact, too, we have papers, we have these cards up here, these are for questions. If you have a question, uh, write it down on here, get it to me during the break, you can just stick it up here somewhere on the pulpit, I will get it. If it has to, um, first off, here's the rules. If you ask a question, keep it to the power of God or healing, right? Don't try to drag me into your church fights, okay, because I'm not getting involved in it, right? There's a bunch of questions out there I always get. If you write it, if it's about things that are not dealing with what we're dealing with, I'm not going to talk about it, right? Now, if it's something that we won't specifically cover, I will answer it directly. If it is something we're going to cover in the course of the training, I may let it kind of slide a bit until we get there, right? But um, we have these, you can write them down, and the reason we have you write them down is twofold. Number one is people will write a question before they will speak it out. Because everybody thinks their question is foolish or something like that. And secondly, if you ask a question, it will not pick up on the tape. Because we'll have a microphone to hand out to you. And so this way we always get them read and then answered on the tape. So uh, write them down. Keep them as short and concise as possible. And we should be able to help you out there. So now, um, matter of fact, here's one that says, What about having someone saying you're healed and then telling you to stay on your meds? All right. Here's the rule of thumb. Remember, we have two things. We are dealing with the Bible. And secondly, we are dealing with the U.S. government. Right? Dealing with the U.S. government, you cannot tell a person what to do with their medicine. According to law. Okay? You cannot tell them to stop their medicine. And technically, even though I doubt anybody's ever been prosecuted for it, you can't even tell them to keep taking their medicine because you're still practicing medicine without a license if you comment on their medicine. Right? So best thing to do is stay clear of that. Uh, my general... And I, let me tell you this. Now, in times past, we've been told, well, if you keep taking your medicine, it is showing that you don't have faith, so you've got to stop taking your medicine to prove you have faith. Now, first off, that would be true if we're relying on your faith to get you healed. You're going to find out that you're, you're not going to rely on their faith. You're going to rely on your faith. So what they do will not affect what you do. All right? So that solves the medicine problem. Okay. Now, if you think that taking medicine can keep you from getting healed, then what you're saying is that little pill is stronger than God. Okay? Simple as that. So, I have found out that nothing is stronger than God. As long as you believe nothing is stronger than God, He can use you to prove it. Right? But if you believe there are things stronger than God, then He's still stronger. He just can't use you to prove it. Right? So, you, have to, you need to learn that. Now, as, um, I've had people that had been prayed for in times past especially that, that I knew of not that I had prayed for necessarily but that I knew of people that uh, for instance were wearing glasses and they were prayed for that their eyes would be better and then as soon as they were prayed for they take their glasses off and break them and now if you take your glasses off and break them that's you trying to twist God's arm and say do something now right generally that's what is taking place that is not necessarily faith right you, you understand what I'm saying that's not necessarily faith. So, generally speaking, uh, if I minister to someone, then people say, well, should I take my glasses off? Well, you know, will that help or hinder if I don't or that kind of thing? And I tell them, if you are prayed for and healed, you will have to take your glasses off. Right? Because they won't work for you. Because if I put your glasses on, I couldn't see through them. So, when your vision is clear enough that you can't see through your glasses, then take them off, right? 
And if you want to go to your doctor and get it done, okay, that's fine. That's up to you. I'm not here to tell you what to do or what not to do. I'm here to tell you how to help people that need help. Okay? So all that stuff, it, a lot of this stuff is uh, it's academic because when it happens, you really don't have to ask anybody. Okay? It's, academic. it's because we have sat through so many classes that we have a lot of academic questions that really when you get down to it, in reality, you wouldn't have to deal with it. Okay? So, um, now, a couple of things real quick. Cause I want to give you a couple of testimonies. We had, um, actually, we were in, well, I, could, I can tell you about healing. We have a, um, a series, matter of fact, that we just did called Fulfilling the Great Commission by Expanding the Kingdom, or by Demonstrating the Kingdom, sorry. That um, in it, we went through preaching the gospel, what he said to do. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, uh, speak with new tongues, drink any deadly thing, all that kind of stuff. We went through every one of those in one of our one-day Bible schools that we do down in Dallas. And I took examples both from my own life, but also from other testimonies that we know of, that in our own life, we have done every one of those things and succeeded. Right? All the way, I mean everything. We've seen nine come back from the dead. We have seen thousands healed. Thousands. Um, the nearest count that I have at this point is uh, somewhere around 70,000 people that I personally have laid hands on and seen healed in the last about four years, five years at the most, something like that. So those are personal things. Now, we've seen, uh, the, but the, the amazing thing is, is that we're getting testimonies all the time from people that have gone through this very training, and then they write in and tell their testimonies of healing, and their testimonies of people that they laid hands on, and the dead raisings, and you name it, that that's when, to me, that's, I mean, I enjoy the testimonies, I enjoy the ministry, I enjoy seeing people healed, but it is extremely good when you hear testimonies of other people that are doing it. We, had, we were up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, we were there, I think, like a week or so, and uh, ministered all that week, didn't get to teach the whole DHT, but ministered the whole week, and then, I think two weeks after we left, they were in a Sunday service. It was a brethren church. You know, you know what a brethren church is? Okay, they're not really known for their exuberant worship. Okay, pretty low key, right? And they were all in their worship time. And this lady is standing on the front row, and she just drops over dead. Bam! Right in the middle of service. And uh, so they all, you know, they call nine one one. They're way out in the middle of nowhere, basically. And they call for nine one one. It's taken a good while for the ambulance to get there. And while they're waiting for the ambulance, somebody's there and they're like, she's dead. I mean, they had a, they had a nurse there actually that, was, uh, that checked her and verified she was dead. And they said, she's dead. You know, why don't we do what Brother Curry taught us? Amen. You know, we, we can't mess it up, right? She's dead, okay? <laughs> so, and so they, they all gather around and start ministering to her. After about, they said about 15, 20 minutes, she pops up, looks around. The ambulance gets there later. They check her out. She, they want to take her in. I don't think they actually took her in at that point, but they wanted her to come in later. But they finish the service and worship it. Now, I dare say their worship time after that was a little bit different than before that. <laughs> but we have had testimonies of people raised from the dead, other situations. Uh, my son, Tylen, had one raised from the dead, a uh, lady that had cancer. And it, it, you may have to clarify if I get the story wrong. Um, my understanding was, because it's the lady that had cancer, and we went to her house and prayed. We went over there during... Uh, right after the, the tsunami and then we went over again last year but we went over and ministered to this woman and then she got better and then at some point she died I think it was after she went to the hospital but 
she went to the hospital for breathing or something, and then she died after she got to the hospital. And but it was a time period in between. She was getting better after we prayed for her. But then they took her down to the morgue basically and had her covered up. And the doctor was filling out the death certificate. And she goes to heaven. Now she's a Buddhist, not Christian. Buddhist. It wasn't down the morgue. It was in open room. Their hospitals are not the same as they are here. <laughs> Needless to say. But they covered her up. They're filling out everything. She goes to heaven. Sees Jesus. A Buddhist. Okay. Jesus says, go home. Clean your house. She comes back. Comes alive. Sits up. Needless to say, the doctors and people are surprised. <laughs> okay. And it basically helped open up a village. Help open up that area. Is that right? Okay. I'm going to try, I'm trying to make sure I get the story exactly right. So, you know, will Jesus raise a Buddhist? Yeah. Uh, I've seen him raise a Jehovah's Witness. Okay. On the side of the road. Died of a heart attack. Wrecked his car. We got out. He was laying in snow. Is that, I just outside Memphis, as a matter of fact. And uh, we uh, got out there and put my hands on his chest. Said, name Jesus, you'll live and not die. Stood there about two minutes. Walked off. As I walked off, I heard noise. It sounded like a belch. You know, real spiritual sounding. And uh, I looked back and this guy had raised his head and started moving and opened his eyes. And there was this crowd of about eight or ten people around us. You ought to see, you know, you'd think everybody would be like, help? No. It's like, everybody's gone. Okay. I mean, they scattered. And one guy ran around the back of his car, around the back of the truck that turned over, and was looking around the corner going, oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. And I thought, well, at least he knew who did it. Right? So, <laughs> but um, then the ambulance, then they showed up, and the police showed up, and they ran everybody off. And the, there was a woman there that went with him and contacted us later. And she got to talk with him some. And I uh, come to find out he had been a, a Jehovah's Witness. And uh, later on, they actually got to him, and uh, he wouldn't talk with anybody after that. Because if, you, if you're a Jehovah's Witness and you testify to a miracle, you're basically kicked out. And um, so Jesus raises Jehovah. You know what to say about Jehovah's Witnesses when they die? All dressed up, nowhere to go. All right? So anyway, because <laughs> but anyway, they, uh, so we've seen all kinds. We, matter of fact, the greatest to me... Um, the first one we ever saw come back from the dead was my own daughter. And uh, she was, what, seven at the time. Yeah, she was seven. And fell from a second story window about 32 feet, hit concrete patio, and was dead when she hit. Um, <clears throat> I was sitting at a table, was not ready by any stretch to raise the dead. Right? I wasn't prepared. I hadn't been praying and fasting and doing all that stuff that you think I have to do to be ready. Thank God God didn't have the same standard you do. But um, we went in, and I, I, when I heard her hit, I didn't know what had happened. And so I got up and went out to the patio, and there she was laying where she had tried to catch herself, face down. And when I picked her up, her nose was smashed into her face, her teeth were knocked up into her gums, her head was pretty skin up. And uh, I picked her up, I'd already lost my first daughter, and, uh, you know, your first thought, I mean, in a, in a split second... I saw that whole funeral of my first daughter all over again, just that quick. I mean, just the whole thing. And I kept hearing this voice in my head saying, you're losing another one, you're going to lose another one, you're going to lose another one. And I saw the funeral, I saw the first one die and the funeral and out there by the little casket and the, I mean everything in just a split second. And I kept hearing that voice, you're going to lose another one, you're losing another one, you're going to lose another one. 
And so I started saying out of my mouth, in, in the name of Jesus, you will live and not die. In Jesus' name, you will live and not die. And I started getting louder and louder and louder to get over that voice in my head, to get louder than that voice. And I walked around that patio for about 20, 25 minutes, just yelling at the top of my lungs, in the name of Jesus, you will live and not die, carrying her in my arms. Her head was back, her arms were back. Finally, I went back into the house, propped up against a wall. Uh, she was seated. Her hands were down by her side. Her head was down on her, on her chest. And uh, everybody, the rest of the family came downstairs. Everybody's panicking. And, and I got down in front of her. And I started pointing my finger at her chest again. I said, in the name of Jesus, you will live and not die. It was the only thing I ever said over and over and over again. And after about another 20 minutes or so, all of a sudden, it was like somebody punched her in the stomach. Because literally she jerked. It was like using the defibrillators. I mean, it was literally like she jerked. It spewed blood all over me. Opened her eyes and we watched her refocus. You could see it was like somebody coming back. You could see it. And the uh, first thing she said was, Daddy, I'm hungry, which is always a good sign. <laughs> and so we, um, at that point, so when we picked her up, we put her in the car, taken her to the hospital. And see, that's why one reason you don't see more dead raisings here in the States is because as soon as they die, somebody takes the body away from us. And you can't see it again until it's ready for burial. And that's why we have more dead raisings overseas. Because overseas, people stay with the body, with their family, until they bury them. And many times that's why we don't see more here is because we give... See, we have a habit of giving things over to other people to do for us. You know, bury our dead loved ones, protect us. We give all these different things. We give over to somebody else to take care of for us rather than taking the responsibility ourselves. My... God gave my kids to me. He didn't give them to the doctors. I trusted my first daughter to a doctor, and we buried her. And at that point, I decided I'd never do it again, and we never have. And so we have, we believe God. We've had all kinds of things. I mean, you name it. My second daughter had pneumonia three different times, which was the same thing that killed my first daughter, which, believe me, whenever the second one kills the same thing that killed your first one, that fear is there automatically that you're going to lose another one. And we prayed and we believed God. And if I get a chance, I'll tell you the whole story. But she lived. Um, my son had his arm caught in a window. This old old house with big heavy windows. And the thing shut down on his arm and basically broke his arm. And uh, we, we, we just, you know, you hold it together. You pray. You do what you do. And God heals. And so we've seen it. We've seen it in our family. We've seen it in loved ones. And uh, But... but the one, the one that probably now sticks out to me most was when I was in Grand Junction, Colorado, because there was a pregnant lady there that had twins, and the twins were had both been pronounced dead by the doctor, but they hadn't taken them yet, and they had been dead up to two weeks, but if you wait a while, it will naturally, spontaneously abort, or it will start to go septic. One of the two. And they watched. They were watching because they wanted it to abort. And they said, if you feel something, it'll probably be the baby. It'll probably be aborting. So this woman comes to our meeting. She's nine months pregnant. Supposed to have already given birth. The baby's been dead for almost for right at two weeks. And when we started the ministry for healing, they brought her up. I had her put her hands on her belly. And I put my hands on top of her hands. That's how we pray for women. We don't put our hands on women anywhere at any time for any reason other than hold their hands. Or we have them put their hands over the affected part. 
and then we put our hand on top of theirs. That way there's no question. Healing ministries get enough flack without shooting ourselves in the foot. Right? You can be smart and do it right and appropriate. And so, put my hands on her hand, commanded life. I said the same thing that I said with the Jehovah's Witness and the same thing I said with my daughter. In the name of Jesus, you will live and not die. Nothing. I didn't feel anything. She didn't feel anything. Didn't feel any fire, no electricity, nothing. Just faith, pure faith. She went back and sat down. The service ended. They were leaving. They were on their way home. She felt movement. She thought it was the baby's aborting. She went to the hospital. They were both alive. And so she gave birth. So, to me, that was the best one, right? Uh, They were both born. One's named Daniel. One's named Jeremiah. And so... And I'm thinking, what is wrong with Curry? <laughs> so, so we've seen nine come back with one and the one. I'll give you this one, then we'll break for lunch. I'm trying to keep you right at lunch and went over a little bit. So we're getting the same amount of time, even though this will be a short session. But when we went to, we were in Italy uh, last year. And I got to preach in Malta and in Rome and... Sicily, uh, Reggio de Calabria. You may know what that is. That's in the boot there on the tip. That's, uh, that, if, matter of fact, if you want to read about it, it's in Acts 28. Regium, same city, right, where Paul preached. And uh, we got to go there and preach. And we went up into this area up in the mountains in an area called uh, Palmy. And up in Palmy, it was a brand new church. They just built it. Had never been preached in before. So we got to break it in, so to speak. And the first day we were there, we had a meeting had the DHT teaching. It was awesome. You know, it's kind of different because they still have a lot of tradition that the women sit on one side, the men on the other, and the women still wear their head covering and, and all that kind of stuff, and which is you know, pretty neat. I mean, it's, it's especially neat to look at. What struck me strange is when we broke for lunch, we had lunch right on the premises, and they were walking around and, you know, do you want vino or you want birra? You know, beer or wine? That's what they feed you for lunch. And I'm like, I don't drink alcohol. And, you know, is there anything else? You got Coke? You know. Uh, water, anything else. So, but um, and it, it made me reevaluate sometimes some of our standards of how they were, you know, culture things. All right, I'm not saying you should go drinking, but I'm saying cultural things. Uh, had they insisted, I, I'd have probably had to drink just to continue on, but they didn't, so I got to drink water and coke. And um, but while we were there, the second day, they said, uh, "Would you go pray for this guy, uh, Angelo?" I said, yeah, let's go. So we went to this hospital. It was quite a bit different there. It was a big room where they had all of the... It was like the intensive care ward. And we go in, and there was a little window across the top that people could look in. And they held me up. And I looked in this window. <laughs> and so I'm looking in the window, and they said, that's him right there. So they would only let one of us in at a time. So they take me around. They put all this stuff on me. You know, all the gown, the mask, and the gloves, and all that stuff. And so I go in... Now, Angelo had been shot by his uncle. And I never found out if it was accidental or purpose or what. But he had been shot by his uncle. He had gone into a coma in March. We were there in June. So he had been in a coma, brain dead. They said they were, he was on life support. And they, he had a trach in his throat. And they had all this stuff going on. But he was gone. His eyes were open. And they put gel on his eyes to keep them from drying out. Because they couldn't get them to close and stay closed. And so I walk in. He's staring straight ahead, but he's brain dead. Um, <clears throat> they told him, they said, there's no hope. Now he had an infection that was giving him a fever that they were really concerned about. And so we go in, and they were all standing there looking to this little window. And I get in there, and I put my hands, and you can't 
you know, I like to touch. So I pull the gloves off and pull the little mask thing off. And I put my hands on them. And when I walked over to him, I said, Angelo, I'm here to wake you up. I said, in Jesus' name, wake up. And I said, when you awake, you'll remember everything. Everything will be perfect. Your brain will function normally. Your body will function normally. You'll be perfectly healed. You'll remember everybody. Everything will be fine in Jesus' name. Then I laid my hands on him. And I let life flow into him. And then I put my hands off. And I walked out the room. When I got out the door, everybody zipped right around me. What did God say? What did God? I said, they said, what, what do you think? Is he going to be okay? I said, yeah, he'll be okay. They said, well, what did God say? I said, he said, I'll lay hands on the sick. They'll, they'll recover. And they said, yeah, but did God speak to you? I said, yeah. Mark 16, you lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. Yes, but, but did he say anything to you? And I said, yeah, he told me if I lay hands on the sick, they will recover. And they said, but so then God didn't speak to you. I said, I just told you he did. He said, I'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And they're like, so you think he's going to be okay? And I said, no, I know he'll be okay. So we get in the car and we leave. And <clears throat> See, I remember this guy. I'm, as I'm telling you, I'm picturing it. And I'm picturing going to this mountain and there's this little shop. That, have you ever had Italian ice cream? Nothing like it. I'm telling you, I'm not a big sweet eater. I get all my sugar out of Cokes. But I'm telling you, Italian ice cream. If you get the real stuff, you will never... Yeah, it's kind of like, when are they inviting me back to Italy? Right? Because <laughs> I know this little shop. Well, we're going back down the road. Way up in the mountains. We go back down. I go in. We're staying in this apartment complex where the people that invited us there own a olive press company that's in the bottom. And the apartments are up. And so we're on the top floor. The elevator is smaller than this area right here. I mean, it is sm- I had to get on top of my luggage to get into the elevator with the luggage. Literally. And so, and it's seven floors up. So we get up. That night, um, Sebi, the guy that brought us over, his family, he, he said, uh, brother, he called up on the silver intercom. Uh, brother Cody, can I come up and talk with you? I said, yeah, yeah, come on up. So he comes up. He says, um, I need to tell you, and you could tell he was hesitating. Um, you, you know Angelo? I said, yeah, yeah. Um, he's dead. And I said, dead? He goes, see, he's dead. I said, hmm, that surprises me. He said, and he, it was one of those awkward moments where he's waiting for me to say something, and I know better than to say anything. And so it just, it's real quiet. And he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him like, what else? You know? And he goes, oh, okay, well, I will leave you, and we will see you tomorrow. I said, okay. So he goes back down. I go out, get on the elevator, and I'm going down. Now, the elevator is pretty close in, so you really can't hear. So that's when I'm talking. I'm like, and I, I just, <clears throat> I don't usually do this this way because I know better. But I'm just being blunt with God. And I said, I didn't come all the way over here. I didn't waste my time coming over here to preach a gospel and go lay hands on people for them to die. He lives or I go home. He lives or I quit preaching. One of the two, because I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to go around and tell people they're going to be okay and then them die. I said, that ain't going to work. I said, now, he revives, you resuscitate him, you resurrect him. I don't care, but he lives. One way or the other, he lives or tomorrow I'm on the plane, I'm on the plane back home. And I'm getting pretty vocal about it. Get to the bottom, door opens. I'm going for a walk anyway, so it's over, right? I walk out, walking down, go down, look at the Mediterranean. It's beautiful water. I'm walking, just praying. Go back home, go back to the apartment. Next morning, we go to the uh, DHT the next day. Sebi and the man's uncle come up to me. Brother Cody, Brother Cody, have you heard? Have you heard? I'm like, well, about what? About Angelo. And I said, I heard that he died. He goes, no, 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 he's alive. He's alive. Angela's alive. I said, really? I said, 
win. He goes, he woke up. He woke up this morning. He knew everyone around him. Everything is like, he's fine. The, the infection is dead. He's alive. Everything's like, and his uncle was just excited, right? Which he was the guy that shot him, so I can understand his excitement. Okay? He was probably facing manslaughter charges or something anyway. But he, he goes, I just have one question for you. I said, what's that? He goes, last night when I told you that Angela was, had died, he said, you said, that surprises me. Why did you say that? And I said, because I'm not used to getting beat. I said, I'm used to winning. And he goes, oh. <laughs> well, needless to say, that day the healing service was quite a bit different. People were, I mean, news spread. Everybody knew of Angelo. Everybody knew the uncle. They knew, I mean, it was common knowledge of what was going on. And I mean, you talk about, we had two people get out of wheelchairs. Well, actually, the only two people in wheelchairs got out of wheelchairs. But it was so neat because we were on top of this mountain. And the church had doors that could open up to make large, large doors. Because it was, they don't have air conditioning, so they just open up doors and the wind blows through. On top of a mountain overlooking the Mediterranean. Beautiful. Hardwood floors, everything. It's a beautiful marble, uh, like a white type of church. Um, white rock, like in Greece, that kind of thing. Beautiful area. So, that night for service, the news had spread to that whole area. We had a patio around and the church was so packed that the people had to stand on the patio all the way back into the dark where I couldn't see them and they were stretching over and trying to look and when it came time to start ministering man, everything just got even more compact and we started praying for people right on out into the patio we had so many testimonies of healing everything and I wasn't the only one ministering see that's the whole point the people I taught they were ministering too and they were getting as good a results as I was getting I mean just instant healings different things going on but it's because I don't go in saying, bless God, I'm the man. I'm the anointed one. Get him to me and I'll get him healed. No, I tell him, he's the anointed one. We're doing his work. We're saying his words. And it is the gospel that is the power of salvation. Isn't that right? The gospel, the good news, is the power of salvation. You preach the gospel. You proclaim the gospel. See, that's the difference. I'm not so much interested in teaching you how to heal the sick as I am in teaching you how to proclaim liberty to the captives. And when you come in, because we've never heard the gospel preached. We've heard it offered. You want to be healed? Come up here, we'll pray for you. I'm not here to tell you that. I'm here to tell you, you were healed 2,000 years ago. My job is to get that devil off your back. Because you're already healed. I'm proclaiming liberty to the captives. Captives, you're healed. Healing, it's not a matter of me getting you healed. You're healed. You were healed 2,000 years ago. Now this thing, once I get this thing off of you, you're, you're a healed person and yet sickness is between you and seeing your healing. So our job is just to exert our authority, command that thing to go. When we get that removed, guess what? We remove it, you're healed. It's that simple. And everywhere we go, that's all we do is proclaim your deliverance or proclaim the deliverance to the captives. Captives, Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago. I just got here with a message to tell you you're free. Now just shake the thing off and act healed and you won't even need my hands. My hands are not special. Right? I don't claim a gift because if I did, you can't do what I do unless you have the same gift. But what we do have is the same Savior, same Lord, same Holy Spirit, same gifts, same power. You know what I mean by gifts? I'm talking about the gift of the Holy Ghost. Same power, same weapons. All of that's the same. We have the name, right? We have the blood. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Isn't that right? That's how you overcome. Not by anointings. You don't need anointings. You already got it. Just use what you got. You're going to say, I'll prove. When we come back, I will prove to you 
today. So if you, you know, you think, well, I, I can't come back tomorrow. What, you're, what I'll teach you when you get back, if you can't come back, it'll be enough. Alright? And if you can, all we're going to do is reinforce in you constantly this for the next three days. So it gets real simple. And I'll take you specifics and we're going to kill all those sacred cows, get them out of the way. But essentially, this is what it comes down to. Amen?